Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. Thanks for listening today, and today we're joined by Pastor John Lawson. Pastor John, how are you today? I'm doing good. Pastor John's joining us today to share his testimony. I should mention that Pastor John is our pastor of communications and IT. But uh, Pastor John, just start off telling us about where you're from and about how you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley. Um, I'm an Elkton boy, if you know the Shenandoah Valley. There's probably some connotations that go along with that. (laughs) But um, I love Elkton. It's home to me. I don't live there now, but it is home to me. And um, I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley and lived here until I was about 24 years old. And um, just in 2017... Uh, had the opportunity to come back home and uh, grateful to be here. And a lot of story in between that 2004 and 2017 that I suppose we'll probably talk a little bit about today. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, um, Pastor John, uh, it is good to be from the valley. We do have that in common. Amen. Um, Dayton and Elkton are a little ways um, apart, but I feel the same as you. Um, growing up in that area, in the area of Dayton, I feel very tender towards that area and the folks there, as you do Elkton. So that's just really cool when God actually allows you to come back and to be a part of the valley again. Um, you all were going for a, a while. So maybe we could just start by you sharing a little bit with us about growing up. Were you in church? When did you become aware of God was who he says he is. What did that look like to you? Yeah, well, you asked if I was in church. Uh, Boy, was I ever in church. (laughs) Uh, I grew up, I don't know exactly how old I was when my dad became a pastor, but he pastored a small church in Elkton. Uh, He was bivocational, so he uh, had about three or four different jobs. And Mm. then um, being a pastor of a small church, he was the preacher, he was the lawn mower, he was the window cleaner, he was the toilet unclogger, mm-hmm. he was all of those things. So I was at the church more than I wasn't, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at the church so much that I attended all the women's events, even, because my dad, being bivocational, he was often at work. He worked in Harrisonburg, about 20 miles away, and so he was there working a lot, and uh, if mom was there for an event, I was there too. And mm-hmm. um, all of the uh, old ladies used to pick on me there and <laughs> called me the bearded lady. Uh, never had a beard, but um, I was a bit of an outsider mm-hmm. being a, a young boy amongst women who were working on crafts and mm. uh, cross stitch and whatever project they had for the night. But yeah, I was there Yeah, more often than I wasn't. Uh, but probably when I was about 12 years old, it was during a revival, not during a revival, but kind of following up to a revival. I just really had a lot of trouble going to sleep that night because my soul was just burdened. Mm. I didn't know where I would be going. Um, I knew a lot of the right answers. I I knew some Bible verses, and I probably had an A plus or A plus plus on church attendance, but. Um, none of those things were going to save me. Right. And um, I couldn't go to sleep because I was scared. Yeah. And um, I just remember talking to Dad that night and Mom as well and 
making my first conscious decision to move towards Jesus and accept Him in my life. Mm. Um, yeah, so a lot happened after that, but right. um, I don't want to get the cart before the horse. Right. Thanks for sharing that. I think those moments as children when Jesus becomes real, um, when we have those moments, um, I think maybe things happen after that. Uh, but there's something about when you accept Jesus as a child and as Obviously, um, you're tender about that. That was real, and um, God really showed up in your life that night. And the God that pursues us, the hound of heaven, knew his plan and purpose for you. And I think that's beautiful, a beautiful uh, way to enter into the kingdom of God as a child. So, Pastor John, um, you shared about growing up in church and your dad being bivocational and you said being there more often than you weren't, and then you shared about the experience of really sensing God's presence and that you needed His presence in your life um, as a young boy. So how did that affect your life going forward into your teen years and then uh, eventually your call to ministry? I would probably say it didn't affect my life enough. Um, I was grateful for my salvation, but I I was still embarrassed about it. And... Um, I was can't say I wasn't ashamed or I wasn't um, self-conscious about it. Just growing up as a PK, a lot of kids talk about it all the time. You're the kid that goes to school that has a pastor uh, as a dad, and that's unique. And uh, it's not always seen as unique as much as it's just seen as, well, that's not cool. Mm. And um, I remember, you know, when they would actually allow prayers to be said in school, if we were at a dinner or something like that at the school or a special event, they would often call on my dad to pray mm. for the group before the event would begin. Um, and for whatever reason, um, I guess the enemy just throw it into my face all the time. I always felt myself just embarrassed by that rather than feeling a sense of connection to him or a sense of maybe pride in that. Um, mm. It was always, I've never liked being the center of attention, and I didn't necessarily love that my dad was the center of attention. Uh, he wasn't doing it for the attention by any means. He was doing what he was being asked to do, and now that I've grown and I've matured, that was a great opportunity he had in our town to speak the name of Jesus mm-hmm, in a, in a right. public setting, in a public school, in a, a Boy Scout event or whatever it might have been. So those were great ministry opportunities for him, but um, I was so worried about my appearance to other people, and I was worried about fitting in, and I was worried about being cool. Even though I never was, I've never attained that being cool right. factor, and don't think I ever will. I don't know that it exists. I don't know. Um, I think you're pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to let that go to my head here. So. Well... I hear what you're saying. Like, it is hard um, when you're... I I feel a little bit, and I've not really ever connected this before, but just the idea of, when I grew up, I looked a certain way that everybody knew. So I was kind of in that category, too. Um, And I didn't like it either. Um, So how did that affect you? What was that like? Obviously, it really affected affected you it had impact on you moving forward as a believer what did that look like 
Yeah, so I think I've, I felt this um, deep security of, I made this decision when I was 12 to follow Jesus or to be saved by Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's more of the decision I made right. was for him to be my savior. Moving forward, I, I just didn't allow him to actually lead me. Uh, he wasn't Lord of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty young when I came to him, and I was young enough to where there was a lot of temptations that would come in my life that I just hadn't faced yet. Um, you know, uh, curiosity killed the cat, and it, it probably very closely killed me because my curiosity grew strong, and I didn't have a strong hunger for God because I already mm-hmm. felt like I had checked that box off mm-hmm. and I didn't need to do anything else and um, I couldn't have been more wrong. I just drifted further and further and further away um, and uh, through those years I uh, I think when I was about 14 or 15 I began just smoking uh, cigarettes and mm-hmm. a lot of that started out of curiosity and it continued just out of rebellion and disobedience and um I don't know I I guess I just that curiosity I wanted that experience or I wanted again to to feel like I fit in or I belonged and uh most of my friends were smokers and many of them were even drinkers at that age and I didn't really explore alcohol at all uh at that age um because I was just really scared of it it just began a, a long chapter of my life of just rebellion from about 14 to um, probably about 22 years old. Um, and during that time, I began to identify myself as, you know, I was still attending church all the time. I was still there every Sunday. And in school, I was at Young Life. Uh, we have Young Life meetings in the evening. I didn't grow up having a youth group in a small church. Um, there was only one or two other kids there that were remotely close to my age. So we didn't have a youth group. So in high school, the first close thing that I had to a youth group was Young Life. And I feel like even at Young Life, I enjoyed it. I had fun. I made a lot of good connections there. But I I felt like I identified more with my rebellion than I did with Christ. And so even when we would uh, leave Young Life and go hang out at Wendy's and get Frosties and fries or whatever, I was still the kid that would set off to myself and I would smoke while the other kids talked and had fun and I was just kind of a loner and uh, I preferred it that way and uh, all that time even though it it appeared that I was trying to lean in probably appeared that way to my parents like I was leaning Mm -hmm. into God and going to Young Life and getting involved it was more of a mask than it was an actual pursuit of God and I'm grateful for those times because some of those relationships that I was able to hold on to ended up being relationships that would impact me even um, within the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was definitely running. Uh, it was during that time that I got in a relationship with a girl that was she just shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of my story, and I guess I'm, I'm grateful for that, but it was a long uh, three years of my life that I was running probably even harder uh, from God in the pursuit of a girl. And um, a lot of mistakes were made during mm-hmm. those times. Sexual immorality and promiscuity. And as I actually did turn 21 during that time, and I moved out of my parents' house during that time, uh, smoking and inappropriate relationship as well turned into uh, adding drinking to that list that, that I did pretty heavily. 
uh, for a short chapter and um, my life was uh, I was still hiding behind that mask I was still at church every Sunday I never missed a beat but it was just a mask and I was living two different lives yeah is there a time that your life become bigger than the facade like I've said that many times about my life I made it look pretty good you know, I did all the right things, but one day my life that I was living behind that smoke screen, behind that facade became bigger than the life I was pretending to live. Yeah, I think it was probably it was probably more obvious to my drinking buddies than it was to me. Um, that was a tough year, the year that I was really drinking heavily, and um, I just ended that relationship with a girl after three years during that same summer. And this is all the same year after I moved out of my parents' house, so I had this new freedom that I didn't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. It was also the same summer that I lost my grandfather to cancer. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot of nights of drinking where emotions set in yeah. so deeply. Yeah. And I think my friends were confused by it, but I think they saw me going through something that I didn't even know I was going through. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, there was a particular Sunday when I was here. I was playing drums. I don't know if I made it on time that day or not, but the night before, um, I know exactly what I had drank, and I had drank a whole lot of it. And when I finally sat down in my seat at church, um, front row, left side, mm. I realized that I had just came down from the platform and I just played drums on the worship team. And I kind of had come to my senses like I didn't really know how I had gotten to church that morning Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't remember any of it. And that was the morning that that God um, spoke to me as loudly as as ever and said, you're not going to. You're not going to be able to do this. You can't live two different lives. And um, so that was a morning that I have no clue what songs we did. I have no clue what the message was about. Um, But that was the day that I made a a pretty big decision, just that I wasn't going to get drunk anymore. And um, it didn't cut out my drinking. I just made that decision that I needed to find um, a boundary. I needed mm-hmm. to set a boundary with alcohol, and I did. And um, that worked for a little while. And eventually, months down the road, there was a couple of nights where I just remember waking up, and I didn't necessarily feel um, like God was mad at me or anything, but I just remember waking up feeling like, yeah, I kind of breached my boundary last night, had a few more drinks than I should have. And eventually I just realized I had to set a really firm boundary with alcohol Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of other things in my life as well, but alcohol for sure to where like, I just realized even when I, when I go to the grocery store, like I just choose not to walk down that aisle. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, depending on the grocery store, um, that might be the frozen section on one side and the alcohol on Mm -hmm. the other. And I just, I even have to try to set a boundary with myself to not drool over it, not gaze Mm -hmm. at what products are out there that are available. 
because um, just like any other product, they're always pushing the next thing, the next you know tasty mm-hmm. thing or whatever it might be, whatever trend. Mm-hmm. And um, it's no different than lusting after anything else in this life. Right. You have yeah. to uh, take those thoughts captive and make them obedient and yeah. Um, yeah. set mm-hmm. boundaries. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, we have to figure out what our triggers are. That's for sure, um, because we all have triggers, um, and you know that one of yours is walking down that aisle, and so you do have to set those boundaries, and yeah, I have to do that too, and I appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that, because, you know, um, there are, like you said, so many, there are so many things that if we don't set those boundaries, uh, we'll find ourselves in unhealthy places, so thank you. Uh, just for being vulnerable and and sharing that, and it's I know that this is ministering to someone probably listening today is struggling with this, and so I would just I know that Grace probably wants to ask you a question, but I'll just for a moment, if you could speak to someone that's in that place, what would you say to them? I think that the uh, the thing that scares me the most um, today about my past is that when you practice something you get really good at it mm-hmm. and I was practicing and getting really good at hiding mm-hmm. and um, just be careful about how good at hiding you become mm-hmm. because there were people that I was working with so closely, even in ministry here, that had no clue what I was going through because um, I would go out of my way to find a way to do what I wanted to do and make sure no one from the church would witness it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I knew that when I went in a particular grocery store that I would tend to see a cashier that I knew from anywhere in my life or um, that every once in a while when I go into this store I would see this person or this group of people from church I would just not go to that grocery store anymore Mm -hmm. or I would pick a different place to buy my beer Um, you know I uh, there's a particular restaurant here in Harrisonburg that was probably uh, the place I frequented the most um, when I actually had money to drink at a bar, um, which I didn't have, but I thought I had. Um, and I just remember that feeling. My anxiety at that point was so high in my life because I always felt like I had to be looking over my shoulder because I, I, um, I knew I was being seen and um, there were probably people that saw me in public. Um, but I think more than anything, I knew that my Savior, he was, he was seeing everything. And he was praying for me. His spirit was convicting me. Not in a, not in a, you're going to go to hell sense, but in, why would you do this when you know I love you? 
Well, Pastor John, uh, thank you for sharing that with us and for being vulnerable. And you were talking about the Sunday morning that you had just come down from the platform from playing drums and you had had some drinks the night before. And I was thinking about, if I'm not mistaken, that's how you first kind of got involved in our church, um, even before the Lord had kind of, I mean, I guess he started to convict you then. But also, I remember, if I'm not, you can correct me if I'm mistaken, but I believe Dad came over to your house one day because he played drums, and you played drums, and he was trying to connect with you. I don't know if your parents had invited him over, how that worked, but uh, I know Joe had invited you to play drums on Sunday. So if you just want to share about you know, how God used that in a hard time in your life to draw you back toward Him. Sure, yeah, so... Um, I was actually still living at home um, when Pastor Kerry came and visited us for that first time and had dinner. And we, um, so even by the time before I, I really turned 21 and had my first, um, it's not that it was my first drink, but when I first started drinking on a regular basis, I had already been deeply connected with the church. Uh, I I had been connected with the church at that point probably for about two years. So um, I had just, you know, I had things in my life already, uh, areas that I was hiding, and that just became another one um, that I added on. Um, my parents didn't know. Um, uh, they may be suspected. Um, Pastor Joe was probably the one I worked most closely with, and he suspected something was wrong, but... He didn't know what was wrong, and we've even had some of those talks in the last several years where he has just realized what I was going through at that time. So yeah, I was I was deeply connected. I was deeply engaged with what was going on here, and um, it was just a time where I was literally living uh, two separate lives or trying to. So you have that time you. God met you on the front row. Um, I love that. He met you at a time that you might not have been the most clear-headed, but he got your attention. How did that change your life? So I think the hardest thing that I went through after that time was, um, this wasn't that long after I had just signed a lease with one of my best friends, and we got a house together and uh, with a couple other guys. And as much as... The activity had to change. My atmosphere had to change. And I remember those first few months of like processing, okay, what does this actually look like for me in my life? And I remember one of the first things that God spoke to me pretty pretty boldly about was, um, you've got a really good group of friends that love you, and you love them, and you guys have a ton of fun together, and... He asked me to leave that on mm. the altar. Mm. And so, sorry, I um, I just want to say that again. He asked me to lay that on the altar and um, not stop being friends, not tell them that what they were doing was wrong. He was just telling me, you're going to leave on good terms, but you're not going to be in this circle anymore. And... I was scared of that because uh, I had become accepted. I had become maybe cool to a few people. And um, I kind of 
you know, finally found a place in my life where I fit in. And God was asking me to give that up. Mm. And um, what I didn't realize is that just soon after, weeks after, he would provide just a completely new circle of friends. And um, they all happened to be here at the church. Mm. And they were... um, going through a lot of the same things that I was going through. And I just didn't, I didn't realize that people, you know, sitting on the other aisle across the church were dealing with some of the same Mm -hmm. things that I was dealing with. But now we could, we could do that. We could wrestle through those things in a healthy manner and move forward in a new, uh, in a new life. And so. That's powerful. One of the Graham daughters wrote a book, um, on every pew sits a broken heart, but the enemy would have us believe that we're all alone in our struggle. Sure. And um, when we come to realize that everyone around us as believers, um, there's something that we're probably struggling with. If we say we're not, we're probably not being honest with ourselves. So just that God would provide that to in that surrender, that place of surrender. And you listened, and he... He came through in ways that you could have never asked or imagined, and that is the God we serve. So as I look back, and um, it's been a while since I shared this much of my story, but um, so I'm thinking back more years than I did the last time, so it's Mm -hmm. a little difficult. But um, shortly after just making some of those decisions and setting new boundaries in my life, God just brought me into a new chapter in my life. He did it a lot quicker than I expected. Um, within a, a couple of months, um, I met uh, who would become my wife, Mandy, and uh, we began dating. and um, And there were there were still so many struggles, so many issues in my life that God was continuing to to grow me in. Um, but we began to uh, grow together and minister together. Uh, we began playing music together and leading worship together some, um, which I still look back and I can't believe that um, I was entrusted to even to do that. It just wasn't something I knew anything about. I began working at the church here on a part-time basis, and I, I worked another job as well, but I just found myself more and more just wanting to be um, at the church and uh, doing whatever God would have me do. Um, I didn't necessarily have a goal in mind or a specific plan in my mind, but I just uh, just being present um, in the context of ministry was just something that was dear to my heart, and, um, and I knew it was a better atmosphere for me to, to be in as a new believer, um, to just spend uh, time and to um, be around a lot of mentors in my life. Yeah, that's uh, when God changes your um, kind of the landscape. You saw the landscape of your life change, like it went from a place of shame to a place of hope. And uh, we have way more than we can share um, on this session, so we certainly will um, have you in for part two. But I just, 
I'm amazed, and I don't know why, because God is so awesome, but I just continue to be amazed at how God um, brings us to places of surrender, and it's so hard, and we don't know why we have to give it up. Um, I went through that same struggle 18 years, going on 19 years now, um, and had no idea what God had in store. But He always has better for us than we can think or imagine, as it says in Ephesians 3. And so um, thank you for sharing today, and I look forward to hearing the rest of the story. Thank you for joining us today, Pastor John. And as Pastor Margaret says, uh, we just had too much good stuff to share. Uh, So be listening in the weeks ahead for part two of Pastor John Lawson's testimony, but we pray uh, that this part of his testimony um, has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.